Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 285 for November 30th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about bearings versus bushings, strengthening a miter joint, and PVA glue in a vacuum bag. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Bruso Hardware. Bruso Hardware provides high-quality American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WT2015 for 10% off orders at Brusso.com. And again, make sure you check out their Facebook page so you can see that video commissioned by Caleb Woodward. Uh, it shows the knife hinge installation. That's really darn cool and a very beautiful cabinet. You definitely want to check it out. We'd also like to thank a couple special people, some donors who helped us out financially, Robert Cook, A.R. Kaufman Woodworks. Uh, thank you both. We really appreciate the support. And if you want to help out too, head to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column and click on some of those donation links and any little amount always helps. We appreciate it. And uh, you know what? The giveaway, haven't updated it for this month, so apologies for that, but we're, uh, you know, a little busy. This is a very busy time of year for everybody. Uh, But let's get into what's on the bench. I'll go first, because that's kind of what we always do, right? Yeah, why not? Might as well just keep talking. May as well keep rolling with it. I'm on a roll here. Uh, What's on my bench is a finished project. I finally finished the gaming dining table, moved it into the house just in time for Thanksgiving. It was still, like, I had about three or four days in the shop, and you think for Polly it's at least well on its way to off gassing enough to not stink up the house. And I was a little bit wrong on that. It still took a few (laughs) more days inside the house. The first few days we're sitting at it and like eating dinner and it's like, Oh, that's a little rough. Like you sit here too long. It's a little uh, heavy on the nostrils. So I gave it a few more days. It aired out and it was definitely in time for Thanksgiving. Had a bunch of people over the table easily sat eight and did a great job playing, uh, played a couple games on it. After the fact, that was a really, it was a really gratifying project. Uh, Most of the things I build just because it's like, I don't know, I guess we can use a tilt top table, right? Like (laughs) everyone needs one of those. Like it's something I think that's compelling to build. Uh, this is one of the few times that I built something that was uh, that's going to be used every single day by by multiple people in the family. So it's a rare opportunity to build something that's that critical to our daily activities, which I think is really really cool. So enjoying. Well, it. you know, I noticed with uh, Mateo and the Legos in there. As he gets older and he has his friends come over, it could also easily be converted into a crafts table potentially. So did you say crabs yeah. table? Cra- uh, crabs, as oh. in you know, like you uh, roll <laughs> like, the dice and come like on, baby. Gets a, a, a bushel of fresh crab that you know from the arizona you do that lake too. yeah you won't have to worry about them walking away as you're getting ready to you know prepare them if you want them really really fresh that's like something like lobster. They, it seems like something you guys might do um yeah, yeah no it, i agree yeah, there's a lot of cool things we could do with it and really the kids is going to be one of, it's one of the most fun aspects of it because they're just getting into their uh the world of gaming and the things that they'll be able to do as they get older so hopefully it'll stand up to the abuse but uh, i'm really happy with it so far i cannot complain so uh matt what about you what's going on well, the big thing for me is I built a library this past weekend, an and it entire, was really exciting. entire library? Well, wow. not really an entire library. It feels like an entire library because almost my entire library of woodworking books, which apparently I thought was vast. Turns out it's not that many of them. <laughs> but I built a little cabinet, the small pine cabinet. In fact, the video is now available in case anybody wants to check it out for some reason. And it was one of those projects where it's like – I haven't had a lot of time to get in the shop and really be able to dive anything into anything. In fact, I've got some big projects that are 
stuck in my brain because they're not going to get out on paper or anything else anytime soon because the last thing I needed to do was have that stuck in the back of my head thinking, I got to get to this. I got to get to this. But anyway, so I went ahead and I built a small project and it was a nice little cabinet to hold all of my woodworking books that is now hanging in my shop, which is really nice because most of the time my books have been outside of the shop. So if I ever needed a reference to something, Mm -hmm. it's like one of those, well, now I got to leave the shop. And I don't know about you guys, but when I leave the shop, it's like I immediately get distracted with everything except what I was originally doing. (laughs) Yeah. So while going for a book, I might actually find myself in the kitchen getting a drink, maybe making a sandwich. Oh, now I want to check out that one movie I was going to (laughs) watch earlier. Yeah, the amount of detours I've taken just, uh, just to go in to get a memory card. Right, exactly. <laughs> and half the time, why. half the time, I go back into the shop and I'm like, "Wait a minute, what? Where's the memory card? Yeah, where's the memory card? Oh, that's right. At least I checked my email. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh yeah, and I ordered dinner and I did this. Right. So yeah, having that in there is it's really nice to do. And it was a nice mixture of both power and I played around with uh, with a hand plane that I pretty much uh, haven't used. Uh, <laughs> Not, no exaggeration here, probably in about three years or so. Wow. Uh, so it was nice to be able to break that out and feel like I accomplished something. And it was, like I said, it was a real fun project. Got it done and taken care of. And I can honestly say that I built a library now. Cool, man. Now, I have to, I watched the video. Very good, by the way. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for entertaining me during my lunch hour today. Well, you're welcome, um, sir. I want to know, because you were totally like laid back and blase about the cup hinges coming through on the raised panel. <laughs> you were like, yeah, whatever. I just want to know. Let's let's hear the real Matt reaction when you were playing the bevel and suddenly the little the little hole from the cup hinge peeked through. Well, it couldn't have been that like oh whatever. Well, let's get the little beeper ready to go because there was definitely a lot of FS and a few other things that I don't really think would translate well into any type of spoken language that were flying out. But the nice thing is I didn't have the hinges in place. When that happened, I mean, oh, the yeah. holes were drilled for them. It's just that I had I removed the actual mechanical hinges themselves so that, thankfully, it didn't touch my blade. But, yeah, regardless, once that, that little pocket started to open up, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Who planned this thing? You know, and so, yeah, it went from there. In fact, uh, at that point, my family was hearing it. And they're like, oh, it's nice to have dad in the shop again. Listen to him being so happy. <laughs> Dad's working again. <laughs> nice. So that was the big thing Fun for me. Now, things of working with thinner stock. Exactly. Yeah, that, that is one of the things that you know, I point that out in, in the video. Also, it's like you know, this is one thing you might want to take into consideration before you decide to do it. <laughs> so, but speaking of taking things into consideration, Shannon, I see that you finished up a project, and it looks like you even put a finish on it, which yeah, for the I longest finished, time you didn't like to do. Finished finishing the project, <clears throat> and um, you know, it, it's interesting. I. I'm slowly getting over that whole, like, uh, hesitate to do the finish. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that it causes my shop to shut down because I just can't do anything else while finish is drying. And I really have come to enjoy that process a lot more now. Mm-hmm. Um, started to kind of experiment with it a little bit more. And this was, this was a fun finish. I went two-tone and, uh, you know, nothing terribly crazy. In fact, I think I texted you guys that I was slumming it following Mark's wipe on poly example by using aerosol shellac cans, which the works great. But the one thing I'll say is it's very wasteful. I went through, I think like five cans of shellac on that little table. Yeah. They don't, uh, they don't go very far. Mm-mm. It's but, expensive. Uh, it's actually, I mean, you think, yeah. of it, Oh, it's a cheap way to go. No. When you buy spray cans, it's actually in, in the long no, run, it's like way more expensive. Seven, seven dollars and change per can. Yeah. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but I'm like in that like self checkout thing at home Depot where you scan it yourself and it's like seven, 
58. Like, wait, what? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to add up. (laughs) Don't. But, uh, you know, it came out great and was really just happy with how it looked with, you know, really simple application. You know, an aerosol can. It doesn't get much harder than that. And then uh, the shellac top coat over top of the spray paint was was killer. 600 grit in between so that it's nice and smooth and uh, silky, shiny. Oh, it's lovely. Sweet. So, it looks beautiful. And I, I applaud mm-hmm. the interior. Do you want to tell people oh, what you did Oh, totally. That was, a, that was a 3 a.m. couldn't sleep. I got an idea. I um, <laughs> I decoupage Scooby-Doo comics on the inside. Yeah, it so looks good. I, I did a video a while back where I made an orange crate for my wife. And we bought uh, antique orange crate labels, and I bought this decoupage paste at Michael's Craft Store. It's been sitting in my finishing cabinet thinking, ah, this might be kind of fun. I'll use it again sometime. Sure enough, went over to uh, – I was really tempted to go to the local comic book store and, like, buy something valuable and, like, rip it up right in front of him just to see what would happen. But, Take that, sir. <laughs> 99 cents down the drain. Well, I really wanted to do, like, like vintage Spider-Man or something like that, but I just didn't think it would work. Um, you know, because it's that old newsprint and everything's kind of faded. Even when it was new, the color was faded, yeah, right? Right. Um, and I just didn't figure that would appeal to a little kid. You know, you look at comic books now and they're really, really bright and the inks are really sharp and they're glossy paper and everything. And um, so as much as I wanted to go retro, I decided to just buy some Scooby-Doo off the Barnes & Noble rack and uh, tear it up and uh, go to town. But it, that looks awesome. It does. It's, it's a nice really surprise. Cool. You open that lid and look in there and see that it's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, very, it's very nice. colorful. You know, one and of the, the chairs thing- don't break when I sit on them either. That's, that's whoa. Cool. Well, ah. the real test is if I come over and sit on them. Maybe the real real <laughs> test would be I'll come over, sit on it, and then you sit on my lap. I'll tell you something <laughs> about those chairs. Not not only do they support the you know a full weight adult human. I use one every night actually to read stories to uh, to Mateo. But one night. Uh, Nicole was standing behind me and had no idea she was there. So I adjusted the chair and I needed to lift it to do that. Right. Brought the chair piece of plywood straight down on Nicole's toe and she wasn't wearing any shoes or anything. So it has, I mean, it's very sturdy, but it will do some damage if you put a toe under that thing and then sit on it. So don't, don't do that. Yeah. My Lord. (laughs) I mean, not not like this chair is to blame. Obviously any chair would have done that in that similar situation, but yeah, it was pretty bad. She was very, she was very angry at me. I don't know why. (laughs) I bet, yeah. Yeah, I bet you that the words that she used probably sounded very similar to the ones that I used uh, when I blew through that. She kept belt. it. She kept it under control because Mateo was right there. So, um, but Man. she wanted to. She wanted to throw a few f bombs. Man, I tell you, there is something about self control. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I, I, I just want to say that uh, what I learned the most from what Shannon was just describing is that I need to invest in spray shellac, like as an invest as an investor, so I can make money off you people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll never buy it again. I actually used it for something a while ago, uh, hoping to build sort of a base for a very shiny polished type finish. And I don't know whether it was just the cans I had, maybe they were just old stock, but I could not get that finish to be as, as dense and hard as I wanted it to be. It seemed like it was always tacky and soft. Eventually I had to strip Mm. it off and start over. Yeah. It uh, did seem to take, well, the, the straight shellac over top of the, the, the natural stain stuff, Mm -hmm. um, that was fine on just the raw plywood. Didn't really have any issue there. When I got to the fourth coat, though, it did seem to take a little bit longer. It stayed okay. tacky. Like um, several hours later, it was still tacky. And the other ones were like 10 minutes and I was ready to, yeah. to move yeah. on and See, that's, that's unusual for shellac. Usually it's, you know. Right. Over top of the most. paint, it was totally like 12 hours. Oh, no between. kidding. I only put okay. two coats of shellac on top of the paint. Uh, but I had to 
like wait overnight for those because it was it was really tacky after like eight hours in the first coat and I was worried that I had screwed it up yeah. and it was going to never cure. So I waited overnight and it was fine the next morning. So okay. yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is because, well, I mean, there's got to be some other something going on in there. When you think about it, shellac is just dissolved flakes and alcohol. Uh, I realize when you put stuff under pressure and in a vacuum, it's not going to cure on you, but they got to throw in some other additives in there to make it lay down like it does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who knows? Uh, but like the next day you're saying it was, it was dry. Mine would still take a fingerprint, you know, not really. Yeah. yeah so you touch it and problem. I was like, Oh man, this is no, 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 no. I do not want mm-hmm. this on my project. So anyway, all right, let's move into what's new. I don't know if you guys are doing any kind of sales. Matt, I don't think you have anything to sell at this point, do you? I've got like a handful of T-shirts, which I actually, uh, depending on when this is going out, uh, they're either on sale or were on sale. So you may be able to come in and uh, onto the website and pick up a, one for a, a discount, or you missed your opportunity. Oh, okay. And excuse my right. phone in the background. Um, so, Shannon, do you have anything? Because it's we're recording this on Cyber Monday. That's the only reason I'm bringing this up. Right. Well, uh, through Friday the 4th of December, I've got a 10% off at the hand tool school. Uh, what did I, here's a coupon code out there. Uh, Turkey plane is the coupon code. (laughs) Use that coupon code. Or if you can't remember that, go to the hand tool school, um, Facebook page and you'll see it all right there. You should have done Turkey lips. Yeah. I I thought about it, but I was trying to say topical. (laughs) Um, Turkey butt. Turkey butt. Turkey butt. butt. That one will either get you kicked out of school or <laughs> uh, to get my son kicked chicken out. Butt. Let's, chicken you know, butt. Let's not do that. That was that was a six month affair, uh, getting him to stop saying chicken butt. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So we uh, the Wood Whisperer store. We do have twenty percent off of everything today. So get on it if you're catching the show today. We're recording today. It'll be Monday. Uh, anytime after Monday, no good. Use code Turkey, not Turkey Lips, just Turkey. Um, when you check out and also at the guild all month long, as we approach Christmas, uh, every week, we're going to put a trio of projects on sale and we've, we haven't put anything on sale in the guild like ever. It's just something that we don't do. Uh, so every week we're picking three projects and all of them will be 30% off, uh, moving toward Christmas. And this week we figured, you know what? One of the most popular best selling projects is the Rubo. And we figured, should we wait? Should we be mean and like wait till the end of the month to do that or just get it over with right away? And we did the nice thing. We put it in there in the first week. So if you've been looking at the Rubo workbench, it's 30% off right now. Uh, It will be that way for about a week from today. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yep. All right. Uh, Shannon and uh, Matt, you guys got things to, to share here? Yeah, there's yeah. A, one of those uh, artsy-fartsy type videos on uh, Vimeo, but it's highlighting Clark and Williams, the plane makers, hmm. and it's put out by um, some craft bureau of Arkansas. I, the name eludes me now, but it's just a really well-done video, and most importantly, it just highlights how long Larry Williams and Don McConnell have been like at this and researching and just... I mean, they kind of started this revolution, frankly. I mean, there are now multiple makers of hand planes, uh, molding planes specifically, multiple makers of wooden hand planes. And these were the guys that did it, like back when people thought they were absolutely nuts. Who would buy this stuff, you know? Um, and they've been doing it for a while. And it, the only sad part about the video is there's like this undercurrent of like, are they retiring? Like, is mm-hmm. this like a swan song type video? I don't know. It's really hard to to pinpoint but it just feels like that's the tone like maybe they're ready to hand it off which would be kind of sad but i suppose well earned at the same time probably reading into it too much but it's worth checking out cool 
Hmm. Well, we have another video here, and this one was sent in to us by a mark, but this is a mark with a K, so it's questionable, I guess, mm-hmm. depending on how you feel about the K or the C situation with marks. And Mark said, Ronda Russo, do you remember her? She was the, the, the kickboxer. Uh, she's going to kick my butt regardless of what technique she's using. Yes. Ronda, anyway, so uh, Rousey, Ronda Russo has been in the limelight as the undefeated UFC bantamweight champion and was just defeated by Holly Holm uh, just what, a couple of weeks ago in an amazing upset at UFC 193 in Australia. 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 Uh, in this video, is, anyways, though, uh, the new bantamweight champion or whatever, Holly Holm, uh, goes on to talk about that she's a crafter and a woodworker. Uh, so if you go to around the 2 minute 14 second mark, she mentions that she was uh, building a bed and trying her hand at building drawers for the very first time. So it's really neat. I did watch most of the video and it's kind of funny as she's talking about, you know, uh, her life and, and, and sports and all this other stuff. And then she's like, yeah, actually, I like crafts. And I'm not just talking about like glue guns and glitter. Nice. That's <laughs> nice, very right cool. On. So do you think she listens to Wood Talk? I'm really hoping she does. And if that's the case. Maybe while she um, trains. Maybe. Yeah. That, that, you know, a lot of people makes do that. her angry, it's, makes her hit harder. Exactly. That's what I was just thinking. My chortles have helped to just make her roundhouse onto Rhonda yeah. what it was. We uh, we better not say anything bad about her if that's the case. Whew, I would just like to say, you know, Holly, uh, if you take advantage of the sale going on over at the Wood Whisper, you can get the uh, Rubo that's bench right. for 30% off. <laughs> Want to learn how to build drawers? I can help you out. Um, you that, that was a crazy fight. Did you guys see any of that? Uh, I've only saw the highlights, at which point just, I yeah, grimaced. After the yeah, that was pretty crazy. Good stuff. Uh, all right, let's move into kickback. So got quite a bit of kickback on the last episode. If anyone downloaded the show within the first two hours, I think it was, you may have heard some bad things come out of my <laughs> mouth specifically. Uh, in, it was it was the first time in how many episodes? 284 or something like that? Uh, 285. First time I made a serious editing blunder. Uh, bottom line is the three of us are adults and we use adult language. We just edit that out because... You know, this particular thing, normally we don't even have to do much editing on the show. Uh, But I I was cursing at Shannon for screwing something up, (laughs) basically, (laughs) is what it came down to. And um, and I dropped an F-bomb and an S-bomb. And, uh, you know, we keep the show clean because we want it clean. So it was funny when people were like, that's not the PG show I'm used to. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the PG show I'm used to either. (laughs) Right. It's a PG-13 is more like it. I think that's one where you can start dropping in the F-bombs, isn't it? It's like about that certain level. Something like that. So fortunately, someone let me know ahead of time. And they're like, look, I don't care. It's fine. I'd actually like you guys to do a uh, explicit show, but I know you get a lot of crap for it. And I do like it to be a family show. So I quickly went in, took the episode down, re-edited and uploaded the correct one. So most people didn't even hear it, which was nice. Uh, but if you did hear it, my apologies. Uh, you know, it happens. But, um, you know, we're usually a lot more careful than that. You know, there's two things I want to say about this. Number one, this shows people that you need to download the show is second it becomes available. <laughs> you should just hang out, you know, the whole entire yep. time. It pops right up. Just keep refreshing Wood Talk. And right. make sure All that the Easter eggs are in the first five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and, my, and that will uh, take care of it. My phone. Other, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to The other thing is that um, while it may sound like you were berating Shannon, what people don't understand is that's how we tell each other that we love one another. It is. You yeah. should see our texts back and forth full exactly. of F-bombs. <laughs> probably probably not a good idea. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, my phone downloaded it just because I've got the podcast app rolling. And I didn't even, you know, it's not even like I was in there listening to podcasts. So I had it kind of queued up 
and I went in and checked it. Even after I changed the file, it's like, no, no, thanks. I've got the file I need. So a lot of people still just because their podcast apps have, you know, automatically downloaded it, got to hear it. So yeah, clearly not our typical fare. Well, what I found funny was after the initial kind of pseudo outrage, then there was enough people like, man, I didn't get to hear it to the point where, Mark, I think you actually posted the link <laughs> I to the bad one that was taken down again. So that just tells you why our audience is that cool. Yeah, you know? no, a lot of people they like, heard profanity and came running. Rather yeah, they than said, please. Offended. Yeah, it's still there. So if you go to the last episode, go into the comments, someone asked for it. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. It does, you know, we're all adults here. If you choose to listen to it, then that's on you. Uh, but yeah, the episode is still there for people to download. It's at the 40 minute mark. You'll hear it. And, uh, it's pretty funny. So I'd love to do a, a side by side to see which one would actually get downloaded more. If it was, that'd be <laughs> yes, really awesome. This one has the F bomb. Yeah. I'm sure it would be downloaded more. Sweet. Well, Hey, let's go on to this next kickback and I'll go ahead and take this one. Cause it's a nice long one. And I just want to use my voice a lot to do it. Okay. Well, this one came in from our good friend, Todd A. Clippinger, and he was talking about the Minwax Poly that we had mentioned previously in the last episode. And he says, even though my go-to finish is a pre-cat lacquer and catalyzed varnish at this point in my career, the finish I relied upon before before it was Minwax Wipe-On Poly. I have a lot of work out there for clients and even in commercial environments such as offices and the local brew pub and it has all held up wonderfully over the last 15 years. Minwax Wipe-On Polish is uh, is the finish I recommend for beginners. It's readily available pretty much anywhere in the U.S. where most of the questions come from, and it is super easy to apply. When I showed when I showed at the Museum of the Rockies a couple of years ago, my chandelier was displayed over a gorgeous dining set, which was made by a professional furniture maker and juried artist Tim Carney of Helena, Montana. His fi- oh, I'm starting to get a lot of saliva in my Work mouth it out, for some man. reason. You, you, you're um, really into this. There we go. <laughs> uh, so then Todd goes on to say his favorite finish, the Tim Karna, uh, his favorite finish as a pro furniture maker is Minwax Wipe on Poly also. And that is why he really what he really uses every single day. Tim loves the way it goes on and how easy it was to create a flawless finish. So after many years as a professional furniture maker, he swears by how durable it is for the dining sets he builds. And if you want to see his work, search for Tim Carney. Tim's Timothy's Fine uh, Woodworking. His site, if it's allowed here, is timothyswoodworking.com. Look for the dining set titled The Madison. Oh, great. There's oh, another reference to my daughter. Perfect. That is the dining set that was on display at the museum. So there it is. You can produce a museum-quality finish. With Minwax, Minwax wipe on poly, very nice. Minwax. Yeah. I think he's referring Brought to you today by uh, General Finish. <laughs> right, <laughs> that would be perfect. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you guys, the finish on this table, fantastic, and mm-hmm. it, it's you know it's holding up pretty well already. And I've been cleaning it a number of times because dirty little grubby fingers get all over it, oh, and uh, pe- peanut butter everywhere. But it's it's holding up really well. So. Uh, I agree with Tom. on washing your hands, Mark, instead of messing up your table. I like peanut butter and I don't like washing my hands, okay? I like big butts and I will not lie. <laughs> no, you won't. You know, I forgot to assign names to these kickback items. I'll take um, it. Go ahead. This next one comes from Kenji. Um, if you guys remember, I think it was the last episode, we talked about Kenji had a question about um, he had a scratch on his finish. And yes. Mark had said, you know, I'm not I don't like switching up finish because of different hardnesses. Yes. So Kenji said, I wanted to thank you guys for your in-depth response. My thought process behind going back to the shellac was that I figured the shellac is a universal binder. Actually, this is Benger between different types of finishes. <laughs> but I thought it would bind the lower and upper layers of poly without a problem. Mark, you did bring up a very good point about the different hardnesses of poly versus shellac. And I hope the durability of the tabletop doesn't de-degrade. 
due to my decision. <laughs> By the way, I did get the smudge out completely, and the scratch was completely gone in my final coat of poly. And I posted a picture of this finished table on the Wood Talk Facebook page. Yes, so uh, it's really it. cool. It's a cool triangular table. So good, uh, great work on that, Kenji. Very nice. Uh, last one here is from Josh. He said, after listening to episode 284, where you talked about using a biscuit joiner to help with alignment during a benchtop glue-up, I thought of a different way that you could use. Why not set up your table saw to cut a shallow, lengthwise cut, and then use a spline the full length of the benchtop to help with alignment? And, uh, that's no. A, certainly no, there's only one way to do this. <laughs> that's uh, that's That'll get you a lot of fans on YouTube if you talk <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, that's certainly a viable way to do it. It's just kind of a lot more work is really what it comes down to. That's not going to happen. Nothing wrong with work. Yes, there is. Work sucks. This is the work thing. What are you talking about, sir? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So we got a couple of voicemails here. First one is from Jason. He's actually got a lot of things to say about ESPN, Fiverr, our intros, and uh, finishing topic suggestions. Cool. Hey, guys. It's Jason. Uh, called a few times before. I just wanted to say I have watched hours of ESPN now, and I still have not seen anything about you guys on there. So... Uh, you might want to call them up and see what's going on with that. The second thing I wanted to say is I think about two shows ago, you talked about a new intro and whether Fiverr still exists. I think it still exists, but I think you guys, regardless, you come up with a new intro, maybe something more dynamic like Mark, Matt, and Shannon bring you wood. You know, something like that. Um, and then lastly, I just had the suggestion and or maybe you could just tell me where I could find it um, or like a weekend edition of just finishing I know, Mark, you always seem to have a lot of finishing answers to many of the world's quandaries. But it uh, seems like you start to delve into it, and there's so much there, you just go back to, ah, I'll just put on white bump poly. But uh, I know you've got you know, shellac, and you can put that on, and when you should and when you shouldn't. And then you've got oil-based finishes and water-based finishes and then water locks and uh, everything else in between. Um, seems like quickly you can get overwhelmed and... And you've got, you know, different kinds of wood respond differently to different kinds of finishes and maybe just kind of a, a good, like, 101 type class uh, as a beginner on that stuff. And if you'd like a new intro, maybe uh, let me know on the show and I'll call back and we can set something up. I have no idea if I'm qualified for that, but it would be fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the show. Well, you sound qualified, Jason. Your, uh, your movie intro voice is, is pretty good. So I don't know. We might take you up on that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so for the finishing thing, I don't think we have anything specific we could point him to. The problem, he identified the problem right there. You want a one-on-one sort of approach to finishing, then you can't talk about all these things. Yeah, right? <laughs> good point. Exactly. Because the, the world of finishing is a very complicated and deep one if you get into all that stuff. So the reason why we tend to, or at least I tend to sort of drop back to the wipe on poly suggestion is because it's so widely accessible and applicable and can be used on many different types of woods. There's exceptions to everything, you know, so there are situations where you can't use it, but the more you get into the little exceptions and all the different types of finishes, the different types of wood, oily versus non-oily, when to seal with shellac, when not to, you get into all that stuff. Now we're a little bit beyond 101. So for me, finishing 101 is keep it simple, stupid, and you know, pick a finish that you could apply very well and continue to apply it. The reality is just about any finish can be applied to just about any wood. You just have to understand what you're in for and what it's going to look like when it's done. So there, you know, we don't have a resource to point him to, but this is you want to get into that stuff. There are some great books, and we're, you know, this is a book-worthy topic. Um, I yeah. think Charles Neal 
tried to basically put a book on DVD with his A to Z finishing series that he did. And it's a lot of video. So it's if, 10 DVDs. Yeah. And I think uh, <laughs> even Hendrik, uh, Hendrik Varyu did something along these lines too. It's a lot of content. So I find it more, you know, videos are definitely good. So if you're a visual learner and you like the video format, check those out. Uh, but of course the classic finishing books by Fleckner, uh, Flexner and uh, Jewett are good at reviewing and sort of if you don't have enough time to watch it or you want to just read on a turtlet or something like that, uh, those books are fantastic as a resource to give you that overview of various finishes and how they behave on wood. Um, we're probably never going to be able to cover that in the format you're looking for in audio here. I think yeah. Matt was going to bring back the Spoken Wood podcast and just read Flexner's book. <laughs> it was actually, it yeah, it, it's, it's on my to-do list right now. I'm somewhere about halfway through chapter one. <laughs> you should have yeah. no problems with that. That should go well. <laughs> All right, next one here we have is from AJ, and it's a uh, workbench trough question. Hey, guys, AJ from Connecticut again. Uh, thank you so much for answering my question last episode of Wood Talk about my workbench that I'm building. Uh, it's kind of hit a plateau right now. My 13-inch DeWalt lunchbox planer uh, kind of crapped the bed on me a little bit, so it's at the getting fixed right now. Uh, but my next question that I'm going to run into uh, eventually is the tool storage uh, divot in the middle of my uh, split bench. So it's going to be about six to eight inches. I'm just wondering uh, what the best way to have that... Uh, recess in the center of the two slabs would be if I should maybe router out uh, underneath um, the two slabs and kind of recess it in there or what you guys think about that. And um, oh, and also I do have a biscuit joiner. So thanks for the tip on that. That's definitely how I'm going to be laminating my two slabs. So uh, any advice you can give me would be great. Thank you so much. Love the show. All right. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. I've never made one. So mm-hmm. my instinct would be to follow what the split top Rubo design from, uh, from Benchcrafted employees. And the, even though I don't have one that's as wide to be called like a plane trough or a, you know, a, a bench, whatever you would call that thingy. What's mm-hmm. the, what's, what, what's the official name for that thing? Tool. Well, a tool. Well, thank you. I knew tool there was a name. Well, well, there you go. I've got a really good suggestion. You okay. remember Rob Boas? Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to have a podcast. Never heard of it. still out there. But his bench used a series of boxes that you could flip them over so the box was facing up and they dropped down so they were flush with the slabs and you could put tools in there. Then you could take the tools out and flip the box over and the bottom of the box was flush with the bench top. So it was a way, it was a really kind of ingenious way to have a tool well and then not have a tool well when it was in the way. And it was a series of like three or four along the length. So like you could flip them over and have like total, like a complete bench from end to end, maybe in one spot and then have tool well in the other spots. And I've always thought that was kind of a cool, uh, ingenious way of doing it. Now, in order to do that, you got to have some sort of substructure underneath to support those things, but it could just be as simple as, you know, screw a a ledger strip to the bottom of the slabs that they rest on and then just build the boxes. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think that's a really cool way just because the minute you commit to a tool well is the minute you go, man, I wish that I had that extra space like for Hmm. that wide board. Right. You know, and the minute you go all the way across, you go, man, I wish I had a little spot to put my tools in. So um, check out, uh, what is it? Boas shop.com or Uh, just research Google Rob Boas. 
or Bois. B-O-I-S. 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 Um, uh, Bois, wood, is in French. Yeah. Um, and you'll find his workbench series on his, uh, on his site somewhere, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Really cool suggestion. Well, and if you take a look at the Rubo design on Benchcrafted site or even on the Guild site, the plane stop, the gap stop in the middle, has two notches cut into it so that most of the time, because it's sitting on the rails, right, for the base, so most of the time it sits flush. And then when you lift the whole thing up and scoot it over one way or the other, it's now sitting just a little bit proud and becomes a plane stop. So I can imagine you actually implementing that as a very simplified version, maybe not as versatile as what Rob may have done, uh, but something that could go up and still serve as a plane stop, but then disappear below or just flush. But if his tool well is six to eight inches wide, it doesn't really work, does it? Uh, It could. Why not? Maybe. You've got a six to eight inch thick piece of... As long as the base has the notch included in it or something like that, you would just need a recess. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. it just would need two notches. So you slide it over, pops I'm thinking down. of this like six inch thick board in there. It's like, <laughs> that seems inefficient. That's a little excessive, don't you think? But if you can't lift the stop to move it, that's, yeah. that's a red flag. Then you got a problem. All right, next one here is from Eric. Uh, it's about a beating tool. Hi, guys. This is Eric calling from uh, East Bay, California. Got a question probably for Shannon, but... Anyone's welcome to answer. I'm building a bookshelf for my wife, a cherry Monticello style. Um, it's going to be solid wood construction. I'm building the back panel out of a uh, solid cherry, and it's going to be a uh, lap joint. And I'm wanting to put a bead profile on there. And I'm on my second board with a scratch stock, and I'm wondering if you recommend upgrading to a beading tool from Lee Valley or Lee Nelson. Um, just trying to get your opinion on it. Thanks. All right. What do you think, Shannon? Um, the Lee Valley beating tool is quite cool. Um, but it's really just a glorified scratch stock. So if you've already got a scratch stock made, I don't think the, you know, either the Lee Nielsen beater or the Lee Valley beater is going to like do it any faster. It might be a little bit more ergonomic, I suppose, because it's got fancy handles and things like that. Um, but, you know, if you if you want to go faster and cleaner, then you want a beating plane, especially for a shiplap section like that. Um, I don't know. Far be it for me to discourage somebody to buy a tool. <laughs> I personally really do like the Lee Valley beater over the Lee Nielsen one. Uh, the Lee Nielsen one's kind of a spokeshave looking thing. I don't like the two handle thing. And I like how uh, Lee Valley's has an adjustable fence to work on uh, curved surfaces as well as flat surfaces. So. Mm. I don't think it's that expensive. So, hey, why not? Go for it. Do uh, it. But don't expect that it's going to like be that much different than the scratch stock because it's the same principle. It's still a, a, like a card scraper type blade that is scratches out the surface. Okay. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, now's a good time to hear from our sponsor, TableLegs.com. Oh, this is where we got to face it, folks. Sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's just a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. They offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom tabletops, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50-plus furniture feet from 4 inches to 12 inches high? And, of course, they have tons of legs in various turn styles. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. You can get free shipping on your first order over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form, or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. 
I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole, mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at tablelegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe, rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money-back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components, and 95% of what they sell is made in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on your first order over $50. That's TableLegs.com. All right, let's get into our email. First one here I've got is uh, from Kevin. He says, I was getting ready to work with templates in conjunction with a router for the first time, and I'm curious about the pros and cons of bushings versus using a bearing guided bit. Are there circumstances where one is better than the other, or do people just tend to gravitate to using one over the other? And if I could be greedy and ask another question, I guess we'll let him get away with it. I'm looking to make a two and three quarter inch diameter shallow hole on the surface for of coasters, and I'm... I'm making and okay, I'm I'm reading this like a goofball (laughs) on the coasters I'm making and the holes would then be lined with cork. Um, Would you go with a big old Forstner bit route or um, use the material or route the material away with a template? Any input would be appreciated. Thanks for all the help you three provide every week. All right. So first question, the the thing with the bearing versus the guide bushing. um, I actually prefer a guide bushing when possible because I find that a bearing Although you sort of in your head think, okay, it's just going to coast along freely. It's not going to provide much in the way of friction. It can sometimes leave marks uh, on the workpiece. So you have two issues that could happen with a flush trim or pattern bit. You could have it not actually trimming perfectly flush, you know, so something might be just slightly off. Or you may have a situation where the bearing could maybe have a little bit of dust in it or something. The connection to the on the post could have some dust in it. So it's not spinning as freely as you would like. And that friction builds up and you might even burn or at the very least you could dent the work. Even just by pushing, the, the pressure of pushing into the bit can sometimes run a little groove along the side. So those are just some of the issues that come along with the bearing guided bits. It's not always a big problem, but it might be something that someone would want to avoid, especially if it's a reusable jig that you need to count on the slot being a very specific size at all times. That's the kind of situation you might want to use a guide bushing for. Obviously a guide bushing is not going to change its shape or size and you marry it essentially with whatever operation you're doing. You sort of work with it and a specific bit. So while it will probably hold up and not damage your jig ever, the problem is that you're sort of locked into that configuration of that guide bushing with that bit. And that would be the disadvantage of it. But most of the time it's okay because these things are fairly standardized. Um, you know, I use a seventh, seven eighths guide bushing for almost every little jig that I make and a quarter inch bit and it works out just fine. Um, so it kind of depends on the application. But for me personally, if it's a long-term jig that I'm going to be using a lot in the future, I want to make sure I don't ever damage it or increase the size of the slot that I'm working with. So I'll go with the guide bushing. But if it's something real quick and you just like, you need a very quick mortising jig or something like that, and you're, it's a one-time use thing. I usually just go with a pattern bearing guided pattern bit, make it the size of the opening and boom, it's done a lot more complicated setup too. When you use a guide bushing versus the bearing, the bearing, you just kind of make whatever your jig is to the size you need it to be, right? Cause it's perfectly flush. If you go with the, the guide bushing, you need to count account for that offset. So there's a little bit of math involved, but it's not too bad, but I find that the results are better long-term. Oh, math. I hate math. Math is hard. Yeah. That's what always kept me from using bearings. 
or bushings, right? Bushings. Yeah, you always got to calculate like it's an eighth on each side. So when you want to do this like a mortise with it or something, how how much further, how much wider does this thing need to be to account for that? Yeah, I remember when I discovered like flush trim bits, it was like, ah, I'm getting rid of all these bearings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've gone back. I've gone back to them. Just uh, the, the bushings are nice to use. All right, Interesting. Shannon. All right, this one comes from Evan. He says, I am relatively new to woodworking. I've slowly moved into this new hobby over the course of the last year and now being fully enamored with woodworking. My question stems to the strength of joints. With my limited knowledge, I'm unaware of how much tension can be put into various joints. I would really like to build a side table based on the Hellman Hellman Change Julian side table. I'll describe that in a second. Uh, And I'm questioning the miter joint strength. My skills are growing as well as my tool assortment. So what would you suggest on strengthening that miter joint for someone with limited tools and a growing skill base? Um, He goes on to talk about a domino. I'm not even going to read that because I don't think that's a, (laughs) I don't think that's a solution. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Evan. Uh, This, this table is, it's, it's a side table and it's basically shaped like a big C, the letter C. Um, And imagine each one of those corners, there's a big miter joint. So it's one of those ones that like you could flip it around and actually slide it. Like imagine like those hospital tables that like slide over the bed type deal. Um, I don't think this was meant for that. It's not quite the right size, but you are essentially the, the foot is supporting the entire upright on just that miter joint. And the tabletop itself is cantilevered out over the foot using nothing but a miter joint. And I've seen these done a couple of ways. In fact, uh, Thomas Mosier Furniture Company has one of these as well. Theirs is done entirely with glue. It's just a straight miter joint, and it's like this super top-secret formulation of epoxy that basically it's like welding. It produces just as strong a joint. And at that point, the, the weakness comes from the actual wood itself, but the joint is so strong that... You know, it's one of those things when you do a joint test, the wood breaks before the, the glue even comes close to breaking. So that's one solution, just using an epoxy. But I, that one bothers me. <laughs> it, <laughs> it fights everything that I know about woodworking tells me that I shouldn't, shouldn't go that route. So there are a bunch of different ways to strengthen miter joints from, from you know, splines to uh, inlay cross grain pieces inside the joint and things like that. In this particular instance, though, um, you've got a couple of options. If you want something really, really strong, what it comes down to is you want to increase the glue surface. The miter is got a fair amount of surface, but because you're dealing with this kind of hybrid ingrain kind of angled face grain, the glue doesn't really, it, it soaks in real far and it doesn't offer the same strength as you would get to long grain to long grain. So what you can do first and foremost is something like uh, a hidden dovetail joint. Now, I know he's talking about, you know, his skills are getting to the point where they're just blossoming. But, hey, you know, we always talk about what, what's the hashtag, Mark? Up your game? Up yours? Up your up, butt. <laughs> elevate <laughs> your game butt. or oh, something like that. Elevate you your know? game. Here's a great opportunity <laughs> to try um, a hidden miter joint. Or, you know what? Screw the hidden miter joint and just do a through dovetail there. It's going to change the look a little bit, but that's another option. You could do um, the miter dovetail where you've got that clean miter on the edge and then a dovetail on the end. Uh, which could look really, really cool, or um, create the miter joint as as you normally would, and then you could use a series of splines cut in along the side and give you either contrasting wood or or not, try to blend it in. That's going to add a fair amount of strength. The other option is, and he does mention the domino here, 
Um, and he doesn't have a domino, so you know he's not going to go out and spend whatever it is, nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars on this tool for this one thing. I suppose you could, but you could also uh, sink a series of pegs into the um, the miter joint itself. And I'm thinking like deep, not just like a half inch deep, but like sink it two or three inches deep with a, a drill. And you could even use like a you know some sort of steel peg if you wanted to really back that up. If you really wanted to get crazy, you could uh, actually bend the peg and have it go around the corner itself and drill holes on both sides of it. I've seen that done as well. Think like rebar and concrete. It's actually sunk into both sides of the thing. In that instance, I even think that's overkill. I think you might be surprised what uh, a really good kind of integral spline or a visible spline on the outside because you've got so much surface at the joint, you can sink that spline really deeply and it will add a lot of strength. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sweet. All right, Matt, you're up. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into this one. And uh, this one came in from a Matt. This one, though, Matt, this Matt is in Minnesota. I'm in mm. Michigan. We're practically neighbors across the lake. Anyways, Matt Cremona, says, he's trying to get on the show again. Oh, oh my gosh, Cremona, come on, man. Oh, man, Dude. what is up with that? Moving into my game. <laughs> anyway, so Matt goes on to say, I'm contemplating building several interior passage doors for our home, laminating shop sawn veneer to a wood core. I'd like to use a vacuum bag system rather than the multitude of clamps to achieve adequate and even even clamping pressure. Overachiever. So I have several questions. We're going to try and knock these out real quick because I think they're pretty straightforward. So the first question is, if using standard PVA glue, will it cure without exposure to air? Would there be a better adhesive choice? Uh, for certain, yes, it will set up and cure. I know this because I use Tight Bond 3 to build a skateboard deck. Uh, thanks to the folks over at Roar Rocket several years ago. I did this for uh, for the kids, and they still, as far as I know, sell the kit with the Tight Bond 3. So there's no problem there whatsoever. Uh, for a project the size you're talking about, these interior doors, I probably would want to go with something more like a contact cement or ideally a, an adhesive with a longer open time so I can make sure I can get it evenly spread onto the surface and then also have time to get the material in place and shoved into the bag and all of that good stuff. Uh, I know for a fact that Titebond actually makes a glue specifically for cold pressing veneer in fact it's called cold press veneer glue mm -hmm. uh, so that might be something you want to check out whatever type of glue you go with again look for that longer open time uh and buy a lot of it i think you're going to need a lot of it depending on how many doors yeah. you're actually going to make that's a big uh, veneering application yeah that is huge that's one of those you might want to have like friends around and make sure that they're not sensitive to vulgar language just in right. case uh, I've used Unibond one recently and uh, that's the gaming one I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, it's Unibond one. It's, it's basically PVA glue. And the, the whole point is it dries harder than your standard glues. And, and it does. Um, I put it in a vacuum bag, took it out and I was like, wow, this actually, you could, you could poke your fingernail, fingernail in it and kind of get it, get a feel for how hard it is. And, uh, this stuff is really different than your regular glues. Um, you know, it's interesting too, when I take this, these things out of the bag, I do leave them in there a little bit longer than I would if it were just like a normal clamp up project in the shop 
Um, so I do leave them in there just a little bit longer because it does seem like the curing is slowed down to some extent. It'll still happen, but even when I pull them out, I can feel on the edges, some of the squeeze out that's there is still a little softer than it should be, but then it like mm. hardens up almost immediately. So it's, it's interesting because I think it isn't completely cured while it's in there, but it's like sucked down enough and absorbed into the fibers that that veneer is not going anywhere. Um, but it is something you want to leave and be gentle with for the next couple of hours to let it completely cure up. Well, there you go. Actually, that took care of question number two, which was how long do I leave under the vacuum? So the clamp oh, okay. time. And I, for myself, that skateboard deck, which is a much smaller project, uh, I was able to get away with overnight, which was like eight to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I noticed that also when I took it out, the very edges kind of had a little little softness to them. They didn't, they didn't delaminate on me or right, anything. Right, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, there was definitely something like, we're just going to gently set you aside and let you do <laughs> right. what you need to all the way. It makes for a, a, a spongier ride. You know. There you go. There you go. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, forget the trucks. We'll just worry about the actual tr- uh, deck yeah. itself. And it's everyone integral needs shock absorption. Yeah, and everyone needs a spongy door. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the best for when you slam it during angry <laughs> arguments. Well, I don't go. know about you, but my dog is constantly running into doors. So it'd be nice <laughs> if he bounced a little bit instead of face planted. Have anyway. a little bit of a give. That'd be nice. Yeah. All right. And so uh, Matt's last question is here. Uh, I usually clean up glue squeeze out with copious amounts of water. How do you deal with squeeze out when in a vacuum bag? Does it just get everywhere? And, you know, Matt, depending on how much glue you put in there, like the first time I was doing the uh, the deck, it went absolutely everywhere. It was total overkill. Uh, but to be quite honest with you, it never at least the PVA glue I was working with didn't stick to the bag nearly as bad as I thought it was. In fact, once it skimmed over, skinned over, I was able to actually just kind of peel it out of there. So I guess if you wanted to wash it out, at least from my own experience, I don't know how much you would really need to do that. But uh, I wouldn't see why you couldn't just simply wash it out with water. I would just definitely recommend that you uh, dry it really good so you don't get mold, mildew, and whatever else growing in there. Yeah. Um, how about you, Mark, with the, what you were doing? How, did you ever clean yours out or did you just throw them away? Never really like, need to. I mean, if any glue gets on the bag, it usually flakes right off. And most of the time, you, you find a happy medium with the amount of glue. If you just put a nice coat on both the veneer and the substrate, you will get some squeeze out, but most of it is localized to the edges. So you'll have to deal with it. You'll have to sand it away or figure out a way to get it off of the sides of your panel. But it's usually not so much that it's just kind of like oozing out and pouring out everywhere. Right. Um, if you have that, you've added way too much glue. Right. That's your lesson for your next one that you build then is don't <laughs> yeah. use that much glue again. Yeah. You're only going to do that once. So. Right. Exactly. You're like, I'm, I'm going to go with the minimum yeah. on this one. Exactly. So that was it. That's all. Matt had those three questions, which we want to remind folks, hey, let's keep it to one question. We know how you like to kind of get these ones in, but let's just keep it to one. I don't know. That was fair. Those are, those are three on-topic questions. I don't see that being a problem. Yeah, I guess oh, you're right. See, it's it's when I have give them an inch. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Only, I have, only I one, have one, but question. it's okay in contextual sense. No, yeah. no, no, no. All right. I have one question with ten parts, and none of them have anything to do with each other. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the side column, and you'll see some recurring donation links there. And anytime you do that, it really helps us out. We appreciate your support. Go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and sign up for the giveaway whenever we happen to have one active. And uh, go to the TWW store and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt because guess what? They're on sale right now today for Cyber Monday. Go in there and get yourself one. Yeah. You could look so good for so less. You really could. Uh, And you can also leave us a review in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews after you find us and give us a five-star rating just like Smthen did. And he says, I love listening to the show every week. Mark with a C likes big, sexy, flaming table saws. Shannon likes to woodwork with boat anchors. 
I don't even understand that. And Matt, and Matt likes turning logs into beautiful pieces of furniture. Wait, wrong Matt. Maybe they can have both mats permanently on the show. Whether it's the replacement mat or the original mat, it's always a great show. Because I left a five-star review like they demanded, I'd like my free shout-out. And uh, he wants an Instagram shout-out. He's at Ethan underscore woodworker. There you go, dude. I know him. I follow yeah. him on Instagram. I hooked him up. All right. Well, uh, Matt, how about you? I followed cut? you. That's all you're getting. <laughs> you just get Shannon. <laughs> and enjoy that. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, Matt, you want to give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, a topic, suggestion such as, Shannon, how do you actually use that bow anchor in the in the shop? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. So is it comma? Comma. Oh, <laughs> uh, who now? A comma. Wow, what the heck is in this water? Anyways, it's a good thing it's towards the end of the show. So if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find them over at woodtalkshow.com. Very nice. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya.